Good afternoon, everyone. This is Steve Bradley, God's Wordsmith, coming to you with another teaching from Matthew chapter 9. And I've entitled this, There is Nothing Too Hard for Him, for reasons which will become apparent in just a moment. Jesus had a no-fail ministry campaign. And Jesus, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, summarizes this campaign. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Since this is the final statement about Jesus' ministry in Galilee, Matthew makes this important point. Jesus could not fail. In fact, one of my seminary profs back in the day, long ago, said that he believed that Jesus had actually wiped disease completely out of Galilee during his ministry there. Now, since it was many years in the past, we don't have statistics, but it doesn't seem as if it was untrue. It seems like it's true. So preceding this final statement in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, we see a series of examples of the mighty works Jesus actually did. I included the final statement first so we could all see Matthew's intent. Truly, Jesus did all things well. Now John, in his gospel, also has a statement to make about Jesus' works. He said that there were so many of them that a catalog was impossible. In John chapter 21, verse 25, he says, Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. If every one of them were written down, I suppose the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. And when we consider the remaining examples of Jesus' works, they truly are amazing. So the first thing is, she's not really dead. There are several accounts of resurrections, and really these were temporary resuscitations because the people all died later, several accounts of these in the New Testament. And so is here is this one in Matthew 9. While he still spoke these things to them, he's discussing the wine and the wineskins, Behold, a ruler came and worshipped him, saying, My daughter has just died, but come, lay your hand on her, and she will live. So Jesus arose and followed him, and so did his disciples. And suddenly a woman who had a flow of blood for twelve years came from, came from behind and touched the hem of his garment. For she said to herself, if only I may touch his garment, I shall be made well. But Jesus turned around, and when he saw her, he said, Be of good cheer, daughter. Your faith has made you well. And the woman was made well from that hour. Amazing reality. Jesus healed sometimes without intent. It was always God's intent, the Spirit's intent, but Jesus, the power just flowed from him. 
Now, when Jesus came into the ruler's house and saw the flute players and the noisy crowd wailing and weeping, he said to them, make, girl, make room, for this girl is not dead, but just asleep. So they ridiculed him. And literally, this word is a word in Greek that is katagalato. They laughed him down, and it's translated in the old King James as laughed him to scorn. That makes a lot of sense. They just, you know, you're crazy, Jesus. She's dead. But when the crowd was put outside, he went in and took her by the hand, and the girl arose. Imagine this. Jesus goes in, here's this dead girl, he just takes her hand and lifts her up and she's well. So the report of this went out into all the land. Now many of Jesus' healings happened this way, and I'm referring now to the woman with the issue of blood. He was going somewhere else and he was interrupted. But Jesus took it as a part of God's plan for him that day. This is incredibly instructive for you and me. There are no interruptions when you're in God's will. It's all part of his plan. And he wants us to take things as they come and then deal with the next thing. As the writer of Proverbs says, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. And then someone added, also his stops. It's true. God has a plan for you and all the days that there are for your life are laid out in advance, every one of them. Psalm 139 makes that so clear. And if you have a moment, sit down and read that Psalm and see how it is that your days are planned by God. Now let's talk about the blind for a moment. As Jesus passed on from there, two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on us, son of David. So when he entered the house, the blind men came to him, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? They said to him, Yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes, saying, according to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened, and Jesus sternly warned them, see that no one knows about it. But they went away and spread his fame through all that district. Now you know, although healing someone who is blind doesn't seem to rise to the level of growing back an arm or a leg, it's not as obviously impressive. It's greater. Vision has to do with nerve and brain function, which in medicine are notoriously difficult to repair. Jesus healed these blind men as easily as he would have healed a bent fingernail. And Jesus' popularity by this time had grown so much that he actually had to caution people not to report their healing experiences lest they be overwhelmed with the crowds. Now I want you to note for a second how Jesus asked this faith question. He asked the question, do you believe that I am able to do this? He did not look for some form of positive confession telling me to do it. 
such as you do you believe that I will do this are you commanding me why didn't he do that because that type of response going beyond the do you believe that I am able to do this is presumption not faith the proper response to the question is do you believe that I am able to do this all healing all answers to prayer involve the sovereign will of God who can say no just as he can say yes there are a few guaranteed yes answers in Scripture and the one that comes to mind mainly is when you call on the Lord for forgiveness of your sins salvation and eternal life that answer is a guaranteed yes because God says so he says whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved so he's already promised that now I want to talk briefly about Jesus and the demons this is certainly not a um, a full-scale theological dissertation but here is what it says as they went out behold they brought to him a man mute unable to talk and demon possessed and when the demon was cast out the mute spoke and the multitudes marveled saying it was never seen like this in Israel but the Pharisees said he casts out demons by the ruler of the demons now there is a great deal of info about demons and Jesus in the New Testament as well as a few encounters to talk to start it out I want to remind you that James writes that the demons believe that there is one God and they shudder that's a very descriptive word it's just like this terrible thing that overtakes you in 1st Corinthians chapter 10 verse 20 Paul writes that the sacrifices made to to idols are in reality made to demons when the demons encountered Jesus they recoiled in terror they didn't try to oppose him they didn't try to discuss with him whether or not he had the right to cast them out they recoiled in terror talking about the gathering demoniac it says he cried out with a loud voice what have I to do with you Jesus son of the Most High God I implore you by God that you not torment me for Jesus had said to him come out of the man you unclean spirit and then in Matthew 8 29 the demons are saying approximately the same thing but there's a fascinating addition what have we to do with you Jesus you son of God listen to that Jesus called God his father it says in John 5:18, making himself equal with God Jesus and God are equals they're isos mathematical equivalents for he said to him come out of the I'm sorry what have we to do with you Jesus you son of God have you come here to torment us before the time 
In John 5, Jesus says God has committed all judgment to the Son. And that would include the judgment of the demons and of the devil. And then in Mark 9.25, we read that Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit after he had come down from the Mount of Transfiguration, saying to it, Deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. And the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him. And then in Luke 4.41, it says, Demons also came out of many, crying out and saying, you are the Christ, the Son of God. And he rebuked them. He did not allow them to speak, for they knew that he was the Christ. Now, the reason I've gone to such lengths to describe demonic reactions to Jesus is the assertion that he was in league with the devil, and this is quite common in the New Testament. The Pharisees said he casts out demons by the ruler of the demons, they made this assertion often. Apparently, they did not gain a great deal of traction with it, except amongst their own people. And the fact is that the opposite was actually true. In John chapter 8, verses 42 through 45, Jesus said to the Jewish leaders, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Note what he says, because this is exceedingly important. If you love Jesus Christ and you recognize that he is the Son of God and you believe in him and you love him, then God is your Father. He says, You would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you're not able to listen to my word. Satan blinds people, folks. Paul even talks about a veil cast over the minds of the Jews whenever the gospel is preached so that they cannot hear what is said, cannot understand it. And then Jesus makes this amazing statement. He says, you are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. Again, he was a murderer from the beginning, and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. Now listen carefully to this next statement, but because, not any other word but because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. There are some people who are so addicted to lies that they hate the truth, they ridicule the truth, they reject it as unprovable, and when you're addicted to lies, you're either knowingly or unknowingly in league with the devil. It's a tragic state of affairs when you depend on lies to support your ideas or arguments or your personal choices in life. And there's a lot of that in our culture. And the reason is almost always, and I've found this many times in counseling people, almost always sins you want to be able to commit or sins you are committing 
which are condemned by Scripture. People do this all the time. They say, well, I don't accept that part of the Bible. Okay. What parts of the Bible do you accept? Well, the ones I like. And it's always a part of the Bible that defines a sin in which you're engaged and to which you have committed yourself and what you want to keep doing. And my advice to you folks is to read the Word of God, accept what it says, and do not try to change it. Do not try to say, well, it didn't, Jesus didn't say that, that was Paul. Paul was speaking for the Lord. He was speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Jesus didn't say that. That was Moses. So Jesus came not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. When you believe in Jesus Christ and you truly believe in him, you may struggle with some of these truths in Scripture, but you will ultimately accept them if you're his child. May God bless you today and every day, and I hope your life is full of joy and peace. Talk to you soon. This is Steve Bradley signing off from his teaching for today.